and welcome to this week's podcast. This is Josh Carlson with Hilltop Community Church, and I just want to say we're really glad that you joined us today. If you're new to the church, make sure to visit us online at hilltopchurchnv.com and fill out one of the online connection cards. We'd love to get connected with you and just say hello. While you're there, you can also find out more information about the church, get connected with Bible studies, submit prayer requests, and even find other sermons on the website as well. Now, make sure that you have your coffee, have your Bible, and your notepad ready to go, because we're about to get started with today's message. This morning, we're going to be in Revelation chapter 12. If you want to turn there in a Bible, we're going to cover everything but the last verse of the chapter. We'll save the last verse of the chapter for next week. Um, and uh, if you're visiting with us, uh, last week we took a little bit of a break from the book of Revelation. We heard from some missionaries, uh, kind of one of our outreaches that's existed for a long time. Hallelujah Toffee came and shared a little bit about who they are. Um, we're getting back into the book of Revelation. And um, as we've gone through this book, we've kind of seen the letters to the seven churches and things that were taking place in John's day. Um, maybe some prophetic messages about the church as a whole. And then uh, we started to move into a time period of... Uh, God explaining through visions and signs to the Apostle John what would happen in the end times, okay? And so we've also shared as we've gone through this that there's various viewpoints on how to read the book of Re Revelation. I'm going to share this morning from looking at the as events that happen future. Uh, these are things that are yet to take place. I know many of you have a different view than that, um, and uh, I, I just don't have enough time to teach all the views. Um, so while I appreciate that there are Christians with various viewpoints on this book, I'm going to look at this from these are things that are future uh, yet to happen. Okay. Uh, the other thing that we've done is we've seen a couple series of judgments. So uh, the, the two different groups of seven judgments that have taken place. Uh, and now we're getting a little bit of a break before one more set of judgments happens in the bold judgments. And uh, as we go through this, uh, we're getting detailed information about different personages that will be around during the last three and a half years of the great tribulation. Okay. So on your handout, you see the seven great personages of tribulation in the book of revelation. And if you, if you look at that, you can kind of see like uh, some definitions for what each of these symbols um, uh, talks about. Uh, we're going to look at five of them in the passage this morning. And then we'll look at two more next week when we get to revelation chapter 13. And uh, I encourage you to kind of go back to that maybe hang on to this. If you wondering, wait a minute, we're talking about uh, the male child. Uh, who's that again? Or we're talking about the woman. What does that represent again? It's kind of a little cheat sheet for you here. Uh, now, I will say that as we go through this, you'll find that if you were to read, um, say, maybe an amillennial perspective, you would get different symbols for each of these things. Um, not all of them, but for some of them, you would get a different symbol. And so, uh, again, going for this futurist viewpoint where these are things that are yet to happen. And so that's what these signs represent to us um, with that sort of theological understanding. All right. Um, let me pray with you and you pray with me and then we'll look at this passage together. So, Heavenly Father, we, uh, we come before you and our main desire is not to understand a theological perspective, but it's to know you. Um, our main desire is to understand who you are, um, how you're acting in the world today, the promises that you make about what you're going to do during the end times. Um, but we also want to understand that we have an adversary. We have an enemy. Um, and that enemy would look to kill, steal, and destroy. He would look to take our lives, lie to us about what is truth, um, and cause us to experience destruction. Um, that there is an enemy, that that's, that's his goal. 
Um, and so we want to understand our enemy. We want to understand those who would fight with him. And we also want to understand the key to unlocking life and liberty uh, and freedom that comes from knowing you. And so as we look at this passage, God, that's what we want to understand. What would you have us do in this, uh, this conflict that exists around us, this spiritual conflict? Um, how would you have us respond and then behave? In Jesus' name, amen. So read with me, Revelation chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. It says, a great sign. Um, now, we've gone through the book of Revelation. There are parts of it where we read it and we say, you could probably take this literal if you wanted to. This is telling you not to take it literal. It's saying a great sign. So this is, this is 100% symbolic. Um, a great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in labor and agony as she was about to give birth. So these couple of verses, as, uh, as we look, we're looking at the woman. Who is the woman that is, that, uh, what does she represent here in Revelation chapter 12? And I've given you a couple of four different major views that are represented uh, within different theological viewpoints on your handout there. Uh, the futuristic viewpoint looks at this and says, God has made promises to Israel. God's promises to Israel still stand. And during the tribulation period, God is going to act through the nation of Israel and the woman represents. Represents Israel. Okay. Now, where does it get that viewpoint? That viewpoint comes from Genesis chapter 37, uh, where both Jacob and Rachel are said to be the sun and the moon. And so those two being the parent of Joseph, Joseph then having part of the 12 tribes. And so you have Jacob, you have Rachel, you have a representation of the 12 tribes of Israel. The woman represents Israel. Okay. So that's how you get to this understanding within that theological viewpoint. What is she doing? Uh, she is pregnant and crying out in labor and agony as she is about to give birth. One of the other things that we see in the Old Testament is Israel being described, the nation being described as being in agony or, a, or actually being a pregnant woman, uh, um, going into labor. There's actually specific passages in Isaiah and Jeremiah and Micah, prophetic me messages that talk about Israel being in labor and the Messiah is going to come from the Jewish people. Okay. And so what is she doing? She's pregnant. She's crying out in agony and she's about to give birth. Okay. We're going to see who here in just a second, but here's this woman. She's representative of Israel. She's about to give birth. Uh, when we look at those passages in the old Testament that talk about the Messiah coming from the nation of Israel, some of them specifically reference his first coming. Some of them specifically reference his second coming and some of them kind of give allusions to both. Okay. When we talk about Jesus and his, his advent, right? Christmas season rolls around. We talk about his birth and uh, the, the Godhead becoming the person of Jesus becoming man and dwelling among us. That's his first coming. And he did many things during his first coming, including going to the cross and saving us from the consequences of sin, being the lamb of God that takes the wrath of God upon himself so that we can be free from that. And then he's buried and then he's raised from the dead. That's his first advent. Then he appears to hundreds of eyewitnesses and he ascends. And we're actually going to look at that description here in just a second, but there's more that Jesus does when he returns. There's more that he has to to do. So verse three, another sign appeared in heaven. There was a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and 10 horns and on its head were seven crowns. Its tail swept away a third of the stars in heaven and hurled them to the earth. 
And the dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that when she did give birth, it might devour her child. Okay, so the red dragon, uh, we actually get, the, the text tells us who the red dragon is. If you go forward a couple verses in Revelation twelve nine, it says that the red dragon is the ancient serpent called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world. So sometimes when we get a sign or a symbol within Revelation, we need to go to the Old Testament and say, what does scripture tell us about this sign? Um, in this case, John tells us a couple verses later. So be pretty silly to have a different understanding than the one that the text tells us. Um, and so when we look at this, we understand that this ancient serpent, the one called the devil, he is a slanderer and the name Satan means that he is an adversary and his goal, and he's pretty good at it, is one who deceives the whole world. Okay. So that's what we're talking about when we look at this red dragon moving forward within the book of Revelation. It is the devil. It is Satan. Now we have, a, a have to understand that, you know, the the angelic conflict is something that is very, very old. You could say that the angelic conflict might actually predate time because God made uh, the, the angels maybe before he made the sun and the moon, maybe before the material things existed, the immaterial existed. At the very least, it's the oldest conflict that exists, and it is the original conflict where Satan rebels against God. He's an angelic being. He rebels against God. He then deceives mankind, and we have been following along in this rebellion, either knowingly or unwittingly, ever since. And that's where humanity finds ourselves, okay? Uh, but there is, he is this adversary, and he would like to take advantage of us. Um, if you want to follow along on your handout with me, there's some things. What's he like? He is great. Uh, he has enormous influence. When we talk about the devil, he has enormous influence. He's described as red. He is a murderer that devalues and dehumanizes with lies. Uh, John chapter 8, Jesus talks about the devil being the, uh, the, the father of lies. There was no lie until he lied to humanity. There, there was only truth to, up to that point. And then lies and deception enter into history. Okay, so he devalues, he dehumanizes, and he does it by lying. He's a dragon. He's violent and cruel in nature. Okay, so when we talk about Satan, he, he does not have what's best for you in mind. Uh, Paul says that he masquerades as an angel of light, but during this period of time, we will see him very clearly for what he is and what he what he does. He's deceptive. And during our time right now, during the church age, he, he would deceive us by looking alluring. He would deceive us by looking attractive as an angel of light. During the time of the great tribulation, his true character is very, very obvious. It says that he has seven heads and 10 horns. Uh, when you talk about that, the, the seven heads, the 10 horns, he's the orchestrator of a 10 nation confederation headed by the beast of the sea. We'll look at that when we get to the next chapter. Uh, that's first depicted in Daniel chapter seven. Okay. And so these, uh, these seven heads and these 10 horns, they're things that, car that remind the reader of Daniel chapter seven and things that were to come uh, during the great tribulation. And so there's uh, a demonic ruler known as Satan, and he is going to um, have influence over the nations. It says that he has seven diadems, and so uh, he exercises bloodthirsty and hateful power. There's two words for a crown within the, uh, the scriptures. One is uh, a Stephanos crown, crown, and that's one that's given as an award. So maybe uh, the, the Greek people, they would run a race, and they would be given a Stephanos crown if they placed, kind of like a, a medal that we might receive. It was an award for something that you had done. Uh, it 
actually the word that's used for the crowns that God will give us when we, we stand before him as believers and he rewards us for what we do here with our time on earth is a Stephanos. This word is a diadem. A diadem was a crown that was given to someone to be in a position of rulership. And it says that he has seven heads and on those seven heads, there's a crown each. And so there's the representation here that he has complete power over the nations. Um, he is the little G God of the world and the world is fallen. And during this time, he will uh, exercise that power in a way that maybe we haven't seen yet before. That's actually exactly what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 28 he's, or 24. He says uh, that, that the great tribulation will be a time the likes of which we have not seen before. So that's who he is. Uh, well, that's what he's like. Who, who fights with him? We see in this passage that a third of the angelic beings fell with him. The stars were swept by his tails. And so by his tail. And a, so a third of the angelic beings, when Satan rebelled against God, a third of the angelic beings went with him. How many is that? I don't know. But the math is good on our side. For every one of them, there's two good angels. Okay. Um, and so that, you just have to, it's a good thing to recognize. We might, the, the angelic conflict is something that we, as material beings with, with, uh, that have a tendency to live uh, with a materialistic outlook, we might have a problem going, hold on, there is a spiritual battle going on around me. There are things that I cannot see that, is, that are happening around me. And the answer to that is yes. There is an angelic conflict going on around us. Um, uh, Jesus alludes in Matthew chapter 18 that there are angelic beings that are actually in the position of caring for and ministering to us. Um, now, whether that's a guardian angel or whether that's just angelic beings that are on God's side that are here on the earth that would minister to us, um, I don't know that we can draw a fine line on that, but there are angelic beings that care about us as followers of Jesus. And then there are demonic beings that would like to fight against us. Okay. And so we're going to, I'm going to explain this a little bit more as we go through it. But when you hear that, you might go, this sounds kind of kooky and it might but the fact of the matter is this is what the scriptures reveal that the other thing that it reveals is while I am material, like you can see me getting older and rounder, right? There's a material part of me. There is also an immaterial part of me and the immaterial part of me is actually growing into the likeness of Jesus. Right? So my, my spirit and my soul, my mind, my emotions and my will and the spiritual part of who I am, the immaterial part, those go on forever. This body's going to die and I'll be given a resurrected one. Hallelujah. But my spirit and my soul live on. Right? And so that's, that's part of who we are as individuals. There is a material part of us, but there's an immaterial part of us. And the fight within the angelic conflict is for the immaterial part of humanity. Okay? You have to understand that's going on. Uh, what are, what are some of the other things of Satan? Who fights with him? The unsaved and largely unwitting Gentile world leaders. Um, you have to understand that Satan is the little G God of this world and that he exercises some degree or power or authority that God allows him to over the nations. So if there's an individual who is not in Christ and they are in a position of leadership within a government, they are susceptible big time to being driven by him. That's scary but it's real. The other thing uh, that, that should make us think about as people who live within a republic and a democracy, we have the right to vote, is who am I voting for? Am I voting for somebody that has relationship with Jesus Christ? Or is there even a candidate that does? Um, but 
you know, is it just a lesser of two evils or is there somebody here who is actually on God's side? Um, I had somebody approach me with a text message yesterday, a guy that I've, I've known him for a long time. I respect him a hundred percent. He's a part of the Douglas County school district. And he told me that if you live in Douglas County, you need to really pay attention to who is on the ticket for the school board, because there are three school board members that would bring the woke agenda into the schools. They're California transplants and they would not bring what is best and right for our school district down there. And there are three members that really deserve your vote. So if you live in Douglas County, pay attention to the school school board, but we should pay attention all the time. Who are we voting for? Who, if you live in Carson city, who, who are the local representatives? Are these people that are going to represent God and they're going to bring about his ways and his will within our local government? What about our state government? What about our national government? Right? Like, like we should care about who our leadership is. We should pray for our leadership. We should desire leadership that longs to bless God, that longs to bring glory to God, not glory to themselves. But at the same time, we recognize because we live in a democratic republic that the will of the people is going to be exercised. That's a scary thought too. Because if the will of the people is not in line with God's will, we're in trouble. But this is not going on just in the United States. This is going on throughout human history and around the world that Satan works through the unsaved and largely unwitting Gentile world leaders. The other thing that fights for Satan would be the sin nature or human flesh, right? Uh, Depending upon your viewpoint on this, but we are born with a sinful nature and all that we are capable of is rebellion against God and wrongdoing towards him. Even if we strive to do what is right, our sin nature is not capable of doing it. But here's the glorious news that when Jesus Christ died on the cross, who we were in Adam was put to death with him. It was buried with him and we were raised and are now new creations in Jesus Christ with a new nature. However, if you're, if you're, if that's you, you've trusted in Jesus. He's your savior. Who you were was put to death. Who you are now is a new creation in Christ. We still have this thing called the flesh. And within our flesh is both the capacity and propensity for sin. We can, and we want to sin if we allow our flesh to rule. But thanks be to God, his spirit indwells us and we can make a decision instead of living by the impulses of my flesh to live by the guidance of the Holy Spirit and we live a different life. That said, if we are living an unwitting Christian life, follower of Jesus Christ, saved, but not aware of the Holy Spirit's role within our lives to give us power and the ability to live like Christ, then we could unwittingly live simply by our flesh. And in doing so, accidentally fight for the wrong side. And so this is something that we have to pay attention to as followers of Jesus. We do not want to be a part of uh, harming those that we long to bless. And so it's not about what I can do within my flesh. It's about what God has graced me in his presence. Uh, The next question here, what what are Satan's objectives? To counterman the redemptive work of Christ. His goal would be that no one is saved. His goal would be that the gospel of Jesus is tarnished. His goal would be that the gospel of Jesus is not heard. His goal would be to squash the word of God so that it could not be shared. Right? He want, he, his goal was that none would be saved. The Father's will is that all would come to salvation. But there's an adversary and his goal is that none would be saved. 
Uh, the other thing that he does is he deceives and organizes the nations to fight against Christ. We'll look at this more when we get to Revelation chapter 16. But even now, this is something that is ongoing. He works to uh, fight against the Messiah, and he works to fight against Jesus's agenda. Now, I'm going to talk about this more in just a minute, but Satan and Jesus are not on the same level, right? We're talking about the God of the universe and a created being. Okay, so it's not like the fight is even. This guy's going to lose. Okay, um, but he his goal would be to organize the nations to fight against Christ. You could think about this in the terms of redemptive history, right? Uh, in the Garden of Eden, uh, Genesis chapter three, one of the prophecies is that a seed from the woman would crush the serpent's head. So he knows, Satan knows from the garden forward that God has a plan to crush him. And so what does he do? He fights against God's plan. You look at things like uh, within the Exodus and uh, uh, the killing of all of the male babies within the, within the Hebrew people. You look at when Jesus, uh, when the Messiah shows up and Herod finds out and Satan works through Herod to try and kill all of the Jewish male babies at that point in time, right? Satan knows he's going to lose and he tries to fight, but he fights and loses over and over again. That said, the fight is ongoing. The other thing that Satan would do, uh, his objective would be to deceive and damn unbelievers by blinding their minds. Um, one of the things that the scriptures teach is that we are spiritually blind until the spirit of God graces us with the ability to see things as they are. Um, and so if you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus, I want you to hear this. There's somebody who's trying to blind your mind to the truth that Jesus loves you. There's somebody that's trying to blind you from believing that there's a God that cares about you. He'll whisper little things in your ear like you're not good enough. You'd have to clean yourself up for God to love you. He'll whisper little things like that. Those things are not true. He would like to blind your mind. He would like to keep you from seeing God's love, from understanding God's compassion, from understanding that justice is real and it needs to be served. And it was through Jesus's death on the cross. You are freed and saved because of what Jesus did for you. You are made new and sanctified because of his resurrection from the dead. Hear me. If you're not in Christ, Satan will tell you, I am not telling you the truth. He will tell you that the word of God is lying to you and he will try and do the next thing on this list. He will try and snatch it from you, right? He's going to try and snatch the word of God from your heart. You hear it, you receive it. Maybe it even intellectually impacts you and you go, I agree. There is a God who loves me. There is a God who cares about me. Intellectually, I agree with this, that I needed a savior and that Jesus was that savior. But instead, I'm, uh, instead of it making its way to your heart and changing the way that you live, it's snatched before it gets there. And when God's word makes its way to our heart, we're transformed. When God's word makes its way to our heart, we live differently. We receive salvation. So he would blind your mind. He would snatch God's word and he would oppose the work of God. Um, he would make concerted effort that as uh, followers of Jesus, our desire to proclaim the gospel would be 
squashed. He would make a concerted effort uh, that, that as followers of Jesus, our care and our kindness and the love and compassion that Jesus would give to others is pushed down. So those are some of the things that he does. Uh, and when you look at believers, uh, what he would do to Christians, he would try to stunt your growth and sideline Christians by tempting them to lie. We see that in the story of Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5. Instead of agreeing with the Spirit of God, we lie to the Spirit of God. Uh, we quench what the Spirit says to us and then grieve his heart rather than abide in him. He would accuse and slander us as followers of Jesus. He would tell us that even though we are saved, we're still, we're still, we're still lost. We're still incapable of living up to God's standards. We're still, we're not enough in Christ. There's more work to be done. Rather than trusting him, he would uh, trick us like, like he did to the Galatians and bewitch them by, into believing that their sanctification had something to do with how hard they tried rather than their trusting relationship with God. He would hinder our work. Uh, this next one, he would employ demons to defeat them. And I mean that in a temporal sense. Employ demons to defeat and oppress them. And, and when I talk about defeat, I mean in a temporal sense. Uh, he cannot take our salvation. You have to understand this. When Jesus talks about himself as the good shepherd in, in John chapter 10, he says that he is the good shepherd, the sheep are in his hand, and no one can take them from his hand. That means I can't even get out. Once I belong to Jesus, his blood is efficacious, the debt is paid for, I am a part of his family, and there's nothing I could do to be outside of his family. You have to understand that. If I could lose my salvation, I would, but because Jesus holds me, it's secure. But as believers, we can be defeated in a temporal sense. And I've known people who are followers of Jesus. I baptize people who are followers of Jesus and they are owned by drugs. They are owned by pornography. They are owned by alcohol. They are owned by material goods, right? And so we fall for this lie and this demonic oppression that life isn't actually found in Jesus, but it could be found in some external thing. And we serve, as, even as a follower of Jesus, we serve a little G God and we experience temporal defeat. First Corinthians chapter three talks about a man who would get into heaven, but as through fire, instead of being rewarded with Stephanos crowns, our lives are burned up at the judgment seat of Christ because we did not live in a manner worthy of the gospel. Instead, we lived for temporal pleasures and temporal things. And so he can defeat us in a temporal sense and oppress us by tempting us towards immorality. Did you know that there is an entire world system that would tempt you towards immorality? Were you aware of that? You drive up in Reno and you go past a billboard and you're like, man, that's huge and in my face. You turn on your TV and you go, Every beer commercial, every car commercial, every, like everything that's out there tries to tempt me into having what they, what they claim to give me life through immorality. And immorality goes deeper than that. The deeper lie within the pull towards immorality is that it will satisfy you. 
And anyone who's walked that path knows that it won't. He sows tares or divisions among believers. If you've been a part of a church for any period of time, one of Satan's favorite tactics is to take two well-intentioned followers of Jesus and pit them against each other through deception, lies, and believing that the other person's character is as not as good as it is. And then instead of having the hard conversation of talking to that individual, we run away and believe the worst about them. Do the hard work. Uh, and then he would incite persecutions. We've seen this throughout human history. And so in Revelation chapter 12, we're given a past, present, and future description of Satan's actions, God's responses. Okay, so that's what we're looking at. And while we should understand that uh, Satan is this adversary, we shouldn't live in fear of him. Colossians 2.15 says that Jesus disarmed him at the cross, uh, that he cannot actually take our salvation. He is disarmed as far as that is concerned. So we have the woman. We have the red dragon, and now we meet the son. Verse 5, she gave birth to a son, a male who is going to rule all the nations with an iron rod. Her child was caught up to God and to his throne. The woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God to be nourished for 1260 days. We understand the, the child to be Jesus Christ. We understand... Uh, that, that this male son is, is, the, is Jesus Christ in his person. He came, he is, and, and, and there's really nobody else that this could be because it says that he's going to rule the nations with an iron rod. That ain't you or me. That's Jesus. And so his, her child was caught up after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. He ascended, and he now sits on his throne, and he's going to act again during these final days. Verse 6, the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God to be nourished for 1,260 days. That 1,260 days, three and a half years, half of the seven-year tribulation period, particularly the second half of the tribulation period. Okay, and so that's what's going to happen during that time. It's interesting. She's going to flee. Uh, Israel will flee into the wilderness out of she will lose her place and her nation once again, uh, but she will be uh, protected by God. When this happens, it says, then in verse seven, a war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. The dragon and his angels also fought, but he could not prevail. And there was no place for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was thrown out. The ancient serpent of the ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the one who deceives the whole world. He was thrown down. He was thrown to the earth and his angels with him. Then I heard a loud voice from heaven say, the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ, his Messiah have now come because the accusers of the brothers and sisters who accuses them before God day and night has been thrown down. They conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony for they did not love their lives to the point of death. Therefore rejoice you heavens and you who dwell in them. Woe to the earth and the sea because the devil has come down to you with great fury because he knows his time is short. And so Satan is cast out of heaven. If you look at who he's cast out of heaven by, it might surprise you. You might expect Jesus to do this. It's actually done by Michael, the archangel Michael and his angels. And so it's interesting. Jesus sort of steps back and says, this isn't even worth my time. Michael, go get this guy. He's beneath me, Michael, but you two are on the same level. Go take care of him. And that's important for us to remember. Jesus and Satan are not on the same level. Satan is on the same level with other angels, particularly one like Michael. And when Michael steps up, he defeats Satan. You have to understand that Satan is wounded. He is hurt. 
But like a wounded or hurt animal, right? He wouldn't just walk up to a bear that was wounded. And it's kind of like that. So we have to understand that he's wounded, he's hurt, and he, is, he has great fury because he knows his time is short. The other thing that we look at here is that Jesus' defeat of Satan at the cross, it brings certain victory for those of us who are in Christ, okay? Um, it's also good to remember that Satan is a finite being. He is not infinite. He did not always exist. And his place of eternal existence is within the lake of fire, a place of eternal judgment. Okay? You have to understand that, that that's who he is. He is a finite being. He is terminal. And our battle with him will not last forever. And even more than that, the battle has already been won. You have to understand that if you are a follower of Jesus, you have power over satanic beings. If you've experienced spiritual oppression in your life, you have the ability to call out based upon the blood of Jesus and in his name and say, you are not welcome in my life to the satanic beings that would try to oppress you. Not only that, but you recognize that I could call out based upon the name of Jesus and the shed blood of the lamb on the cross and his angels, I command you to leave. You experiencing spiritual oppression in your life? Say it out loud. Somebody thinks you're kooky? Whatever. Because the spiritual battle exists and the power is in Jesus' name, his shed blood, and his angelic forces. So you're experiencing spiritual oppression in one of your children's lives. They're having night terrors. Step up in the name of Jesus and his shed blood and the power of his angels. I command you to leave. Your house will be free from that. Don't downplay it. The spiritual battle is real. He knows his time is short, but let us not miss the greatness of Jesus here. The salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ, Jesus Christ, has now come. The kingdom of God is present among us in a spiritual sense. When Christ returns, oh man, it's going to be great. Verse 13, when I saw the dragon, excuse me, when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave, who had given birth to the male child. The woman was given two great wings, was given two wings of a great eagle. Excuse my dyslexia. Let me try that again. The woman was given two wings of a great eagle, and that's representing rapid escape, so that she could fly from the serpent's presence into her place so, man, I'm, I'm all over the joint here. So that she could fly into the serp- so that she could fly from the serpent's presence to her place in the wilderness. And, and uh, there's lots of debates about where this place would be. Some people think it's Petra. Some people think maybe it's somewhere else in the wilderness. I think God kept it a secret because He wants it to work. Um, where she was nourished for a time, times, and half a time. Uh, that being a reference to three and a half years. From his mouth, the serpent spewed water like a river flowing after the woman to sweep her away from the flood, with a flood. And so that's widespread and powerful persecution that Satan is going to bring during this time of the great tribulation on the Jewish or people or the nation of Israel. 
Um, some commentators have said something along the lines of, if you think the Holocaust was bad, wait until you see the Great Tribulation. Verse 16, but the earth helped the woman. The earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the river that the dragon had spewed from his mouth. And so whatever hiding place God has for Israel, it's a really good one. So the dragon was furious with the woman and went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring. Those who keep the commands of God and hold firmly to the testimony about, the, about Jesus. And so in these verses, they describe Satan's anti-Semitic attack during the final three and a half years of the Great Tribulation. Faithful Israel will flee to a land to be protected by God, um, all the while being intensely pursued by Satan's political and religious powers. And the political and religious power, we'll talk about the two beasts in Revelation chapter 13 next week. So as we, as we look at this, you get an introduction to these different people and the events that are going to happen during the, uh, the time of the Great Tribulation, those last three and a half years before Jesus returns and sets up his millennial kingdom. Um, and, and so we have an understanding of who these individuals are and what they're doing in that time. That said, the, the futuristic viewpoint believes that when Je before any of these events happen, Jesus comes back and raptures the church. So the odds of any of us being in this are only if we're not saved from that perspective, okay? And, and so uh, you go, okay, well, what's the application for me this, for, from this for me then? Like, if I'm not going to be there, what difference does it make to me? And I think the answer to that is we have to understand who God is, what he's done for us, who the adversary is, and how he's fighting against us, right? That's the spiritual understanding that you want to get from a passage like this. You want to understand that, that, that there is a liar, who would take away your life. There is a liar who, if you're here this morning and you haven't received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, he would snatch that truth away from you and get you to believe that you, you're not good enough, you gotta clean yourself up, that his grace isn't sufficient, um, that you gotta work for it. Uh, or maybe he would make you believe the lie that there's no need for salvation. You're fine the way that you are. Um, but God loves you, he has saved you, and he's longing for you to live in that salvation. And then I think the other thing for us as followers of Jesus is we want to remember that we are part of this spiritual battle. That while the kingdom of God is not a literal, physical thing here on the earth, in, in, in terms of the Davidic promises where a Messiah rules and reigns, but it is true in us. The spiritual aspect of the kingdom of God is present among us. And we invite people out of darkness, spiritually blind, into light, spiritually alive. And so we have this, this message that has changed and transformed us as individuals that we share with others. We also want to understand uh, that you're raising children, you have grandchildren. Uh, there is an adversary who would love to spoil your child's mind, your grandchild's mind. There is an adversary that would love to get them to, to believe a lie. And so we protect our children and our grandchildren. We, we care for them. We bring truth and light and spiritual blessings into their lives because God has given those to us. And so this is an amazing thing that God has us a part of. This age-old conflict between an adversary and God's truth. Between death and life. Between lies and light. 
me pray and then we'll worship God here for who he is. Heavenly Father, we are uh, kind of in awe of who you are and what you do. Um, Your power so great. Your son's love so vast. Your your sacrifice for us um, in many ways hard to, (laughs) there's just not even a way to say thank you enough. And so what we want to do right now is we want to honor you for the, for who you are and what you do. We praise you. We call aloud your holiness. And it's an interesting thing, God, because you are holy, you cannot lie to me. Because you are holy, you cannot take life from me. Because you are holy, you can only be compassionate towards me. Because you are holy, you're gracious. Because you're holy, you're merciful. So because you're holy, I can trust you. And so we want to live in in that trust and praise you right now. Amen. Thanks for tuning in and joining us today. We hope that this message encourages you to continue taking steps towards seeking and understanding God's truth. The dream is that Hilltop is a home for the growing family of God, and we're so glad that you are a part of the family.